you have to be happy with what you're doing yourself. Like, do, is the song that you're producing, writing, whatever, singing, even if you don't write it, singing it, it does that make you happy? Like, does it make you feel fulfilled? Like, do you like listening to it? That's great. Like, do that. Don't do a song just because it would fit the radio or just because you think that people might like it better than you know, that song that's really listening to you have to be true to who you are as an artist, you know, and unfortunately, part of being an artist is having a brand like you want to just be a creative person and create what you're thinking about, but you do have to have a brand. But that brand should be who you are like that is why you are unique compared to every other artist. That's your brand. Welcome to the female entrepreneur musician podcast with Bree Noble. Bree is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Bree's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Bree is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. Hey, this is Brie Noble, and I want to welcome you to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast, where we talk about making great music, connecting with your audience, and growing your business. And if you're listening to this episode when it comes out, this is December 16th, 2016, and I just want to wish you all a very happy holiday season. I hope you're enjoying all the fun stuff that goes along with the holidays. And on that note, I wanted to bring somebody in today who has a lot of experience releasing holiday music, and it's really done well for her. So I want you guys to really think about, obviously we're a little late for this year, but how holiday music can work within the whole scheme of your strategy of getting fans, getting your name out there, all that. We talk about that in the interview today that I have with Whitney Wolanin. But on top of holiday music, we just discuss so many interesting aspects of the music industry because she's kind of grown up in the music industry, having a dad that worked very heavily in the music industry, seeing it kind of from the inside and, you know, just giving you all the different angles of what you experience when you're working within the music industry and some of the frustrations and how she's dealt with those. And I think you're really going to find this a valuable episode in relation to both holiday music and music in general. So here's a little information about my guest, Whitney Wolanin. Whitney Wolanin is a groundbreaking new top 40 artist who writes and produces her own material, as well as owning her own record label, Top Notch Records, with her sister, Victoria. Whitney started recording at the age of 13 and since has charted six Billboard hits, including three versions of holiday classics, as well as three of her originals. I'm thrilled to bring you my interview with Whitney Wolanin. So that's a little bit about Whitney Wolan. And so Whitney, is there anything that you want to tell our listeners about you that's maybe a little more personal or interesting or unique about yourself that's not in your bio? Sure. Uh, so music is basically my life, but uh, some other things that I like to do, I did improv comedy when I was at Vanderbilt University and I just fell in love with it. And so I started a group when I used to live in Nashville with some of my friends from college and it's called LOL Nashville and it's still the biggest group in Nashville in improv comedy. And, uh, also I love to cook and I actually got my chef's degree from Le Cordon Bleu in London. My goodness. I had no idea. Yeah. That's just, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I took, actually, I took a little break from music after I'd been doing it for about 10 years and I went over to London and my, I just got married this year. My husband's British. So I went over there for a bit and I studied culinary arts. (laughs) That is fun. So actually the first episode I ever did of this podcast was with, um, was with someone from the, um, Manhattan transfer, Aaron. And she, she now does a thing where she does like an, like an an evening where she cooks for people because she loves to cook. And she also has like recipe books and stuff and she cooks for people and then she performs for them, which I think is so cool. So maybe you should think about doing that. Yeah, no, I'd be like a super, super fan mega experience. Absolutely. That sounds amazing. It sounds more fun for me than for them. (laughs) Yeah. Oh no. I trust me. I would love that kind of thing. That would be awesome. So how did you get started in music? 
So I, my story is quite long, but I, I knew that I wanted to be a recording artist when I was about 11 years old. I had grown up around the music industry because my dad was a manager for rock bands like Motley Crue and Bad Company. So I grew up going to their shows and singing on stage with them sometimes. And, oh, that's pretty awesome. Oh, my God. It was looking back now, it's ridiculous now that I know where I was and what I was doing. But, you know, when you're a kid, you just you just see it like you're entertaining people and kids love to entertain people. Yeah, and this is totally normal. Right. Everybody gets up on stage with Motley Crue. Of course they do. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's incredible looking back. But I didn't realize that. So and I also like so because of that, I didn't realize that it was so ridiculous to say like, I want to be a recording artist as my career. So to me, it was just like, that's just what you do. Like I know these recording artists and that's what I want to do too. So I told my dad that, and my dad, uh, despite being successful, really does not like the music industry at all. And so he, he had gotten out of it at that point and he was like, no, I don't want you to go through that because it's awful for a man, but it's even more awful for a woman, honestly. And I don't want my daughter to have to experience that. So I just kept on him for about two years straight. And he said, fine, you can audition for Bob Babbitt, who is the bass player of the Funk Brothers. And they're the backing band of every Motown song that's ever been recorded. And I auditioned for him and he wanted to record with me. So that was kind of like my my test to see whether I was talented enough to give it a shot. So I did my first recording session with the Funk Brothers when I was 13 years old. Wow. And from there, I just kept writing music. And so I recorded my own original music. And I had some songs that did really well at adult contemporary radio. And those were some originals. And then I also have had some holiday songs that have done well on the radio. And since that, I got my college degree, and now I am going into Top 40 Radio this next year. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah, I remember, I mean, I discovered you, I think, on Airplay Direct when you came out with Honesty mm -hmm. and loved it. And then um, I think I was just like listening to, you know, Sirius XM or something while I was cleaning the house. And the, I can't remember what channel it was, The Blend or one of those. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, that's Whitney. That's yeah. Whitney. That's so cool. I love when I feel like I discovered someone before other people right. <laughs> and they get popular. It's super fun. But, you know, I love what your dad did because that was smart. I think so many parents, um, you know, either go the route of like, no, no music. It's totally impractical. Mm -hmm. You know, I want you to do this. Or, you know, they're so behind their kid that they're, you know, blind to like whether they really have enough talent. So that was really smart of him to get a third party to kind of audition you and and make sure that, you know, it's really the right path. Yeah. And also, I mean, you're being nice, but the, the third direction is that they can become like crazy, like momager, oh, yeah. dadager situations. Yeah. If you watch, you know, American Idol yeah. or one of those shows, you see those all the time. Oh my gosh. And it's, it's like, oh my gosh, give it up. And sometimes, you know, you feel bad because the person is actually super talented, but the parent is oh. just so crazy that, you know, but then there's the opposite where the person is really not talented. Yeah. <laughs> the parent keeps pushing them and telling them they're great and all Absolutely. that. So I'm glad that, you know, I know that, you know, your dad works with you and, you know, obviously he's got a great perspective. He's got a lot of experience and, you know, he's definitely not one of those people. Yeah. Um, but at this point, so are you, you know, you've gone to culinary school, you've gone to college, you've done all that. Are, are right now, do you consider yourself a full-time musician or are you kind of working that into other things that you're doing? You know, if you asked me when I was at Vanderbilt, I would have said that I was part-time. But now, since I graduated, I have been a full-time musician, minus taking that six months off to uh, do culinary school. But yeah, uh, yeah no, it's I, I live it. I sleep it. I breathe mm -hmm. it. It's everything that I do is my music career now. Did you get any pushback when you wanted to go do the culinary school thing? Because you had a lot of momentum going on with all the, you know, singles that you had, especially yeah. all the holiday music. Was it like, hey, like, don't put the brakes on now well, or don't disappear? Yeah, I mean, I did. It did in some ways because I had kind of carved a niche for myself in adult contemporary radio because they don't have their own artists. They they play music. I mean, they do to an extent, but they don't have new artists. They have career artists that have done really well. 
um, like Celine Dion, like Josh Groban, you know, and they play their music a lot. But I was kind of an anomaly because I was young and I was creating new music and people hadn't heard my name before. So that is true. And most of the time, yeah. like you said, they have those career artists or they steal from other genres. You know, someone that's in country exactly. can do an adult contemporary song or someone that's in pop or, or R&B. But yeah, that's, right. that, that was really smart, actually, for you to kind of go into that and make your name in adult contemporary because, like you said, you were unique in that genre being young. Right. So it worked well for me. But to be honest, it wasn't where I wanted to be. You know, I wanted I wanted to be on pop radio. Like that was always my goal. And I was getting pigeonholed because even when I was coming out with something that sounded more pop, I was getting like, no, you know, you can't go pop because you're an adult contemporary artist. And I just think that's ridiculous because it's all pop. I just don't get that. <laughs> like, who are the people that decide? Right. You can't do that because you are this and yeah. you, know, you have to live in this box. Yeah. But I mean, and part of it is just like, it's not like one person that's deciding. It's just like this general consensus. And everyone has to be like talked into you, you know, as an artist, you realize that, especially when you're talking about wanting to go to radio or wanting to, you know, get on television shows and things like that, you know, you have to talk them into it until you're like a big deal. And then it's like, everyone wants a piece of you, basically, there's like (laughs) this switch that flips. And so I was trying to talk them into seeing me as even a hot AC artist, which is for people that don't know, like radio formats. I feel like I didn't know this before, you know, I pursued my career and people don't realize like how the different formats work, but hot AC is like between, you know, the Celine Dion's and to the Rihanna, you know, it's somewhere in the middle. It's like Kelly Clarkson. So I was even trying to go hot AC and that wasn't working for me because they didn't see me like that. And so I just got so frustrated because I felt like I was making the kind of product that fit there and they didn't see that. That is so weird. I mean, I think of somebody like Rachel Platten. Yep. I feel like she's been able to make that switch. And she was actually one of my um, featured artists on Women of Substance like several years ago yeah. before she came out with her newest stuff. And now she's really been able to switch into that pop music and 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 hot ac and i i wondered to myself like how did she make that switch she must have just yeah. had some really good pr people behind her so her story is really interesting and i i love it because we have a very similar trajectory she's just old, she's just been older than me basically the whole time so i've really looked up to her because i think it's amazing and this is so sad to say but as a woman who is she's 34 ish and like to make it in pop radio at 34 with your first single like that that's incredible like that is unheard of you know <laughs> and that's it, that's incredibly sad like I wish it wasn't that way um but she you know her and I were on the AC charts at the same time and I even you know got got calls and she was interested to see how I was doing that well at AC radio because it's, it is a struggle as like a new artist, AC radio. And so she actually, you know, took some time off and rewrote her, her songs and wrote a pop album, which was fight song. And they just worked it incredibly hard. She got signed to Columbia, I believe. And then they, they just pushed it to pop radio and it worked because it was a really inspirational song. So I think that helped to it being one of those inspirational songs. It's the kind of song that everybody wants to have on their TV show because it's just like that inspirational, you know, it was, it was incredibly smart of her. And I, I know she wasn't, I don't think it was like a calculated decision, but it, it was a really, really great career move for her. And I'm, I'm so happy for her that she, she did that. That's cool. That's cool. Well, it sounds like you're heading, I mean, not copying her, but you're heading in in another kind of direction like that. And we'll see. I can't wait to hear your new stuff. Thank you. But, But I'd love to know, you know, since you've been doing this for a while, we have a lot of struggling artists that listen to this show. Is there any kind of advice you would give them or maybe a story that you can tell where you just like, oh my gosh, I'm hitting a wall. Is it time to quit? And then, you know, what happened, what switched to make make you keep going and what you learned from that? Yeah, I, well, uh, I would say, (laughs) unfortunately, it happens all the time. Like it's not, I can think of so many stories. I mean, the culinary school thing is a great example. Like I just got to the point where I felt like I had put in so much work. I'd been traveling 
most of my young adult into my adult life, I was traveling around to radio stations and I was doing shows like tiny shows where people didn't even listen to me play. And then some really, really amazing shows where people were super enthusiastic. And so it was just like the constant roller coaster of like, people like me, people don't like me. <laughs> like, I right, like I thought I was getting traction. I, yeah. And now I have, you know, a concert with 20 people. Yeah, yeah I, I totally see that all the time. Yeah, I actually did uh, a hotel group like sponsored part of my tour. And so I got free hotel rooms for myself, and my band, but I had to play an acoustic set in their bar every night. <laughs> oh, that can be so discouraging. It, I think. Oh my God. It's because no one's there to see you. No. They're just hanging out in the bar. Oh, the worst part is it wasn't even like a popular bar. Like I can pretty <laughs> well turn an audience. Like even if they don't like my music, at least I can make someone laugh, you know, but these people, right. there was like five of them and they oh were just gosh. listening to me sing my piano pop songs was the last thing that these 40 odd year old men wanted to do after they just got <laughs> off work. Like they were not interested. And it was like that uh, every hotel. I was like, this feels like a movie. And these people are the same people at every concert. Uh, so that was fun. <laughs> and, you know, I was having, I was, I was just about to have my number two with run, run Rudolph on the holiday chart right behind Kelly Clarkson. So like in some ways I was feeling like really good. I was like, this is incredible. Like I'll be one of the first independent acts to get a number two on the billboard chart. And then I have these five men that would literally <laughs> rather like they were talking louder than I was singing. Like that's how, mm -hmm. how much they didn't want to listen to me sing. And I just started laughing at one point, like during a song, I was just like, this is, this is hilarious. Uh, I have to laugh cause I, I want to cry a little bit. So basically, um, my inspiration to like make you feel better is just you have to be happy with what you're doing yourself. Like, do, is the song that you're producing, writing, whatever, singing, even if you don't write it, singing it, it, does that make you happy? Like, does it make you feel fulfilled? Like, do you like listening to it? That's great. Like, do that. Don't do a song just because it would fit the radio or just because you think that people might like it better than you know, that song that's really listening to, you have to be true to who you are as an artist, you know, and unfortunately part of being an artist is having a brand. Like you want to just be a creative person and create what you're thinking about, but you do have to have a brand, but that brand should be who you are. Like that is why you are unique compared to every other artist. That's your brand. And that's a, absolutely. That is what I stress with my students all the time. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so many of them fight against that. Like, I don't want to be a brand. I don't want to be, you know, part of this, you know, cultural brandism or whatever, you know, I am an artist. Well, no, like no one's going to find you and recognize you the next time that they see you. If you don't have some kind of branding. Absolutely. And, and I feel like you just, you can't think of it like a corporation, you know, it's not a corporate brand. It's still an artist brand. And you just, it's just what makes you unique because you are unique. Like every person is unique. You don't have to be like every other artist. There can be similarities, but there has to be something about you that makes you stand out. And totally. It's your mission and your story, right. really, that make you different. Right. And you know what I love? What like what I took out of what you just said too about the hotel thing is, you know, don't just put events on your calendar to have events. Like sometimes those events can do you more harm. Right. Because, you know, you're getting like you're spending your time doing this thing. And even though you've got this song that's at number two, th this event that you're doing for five people is discouraging you and making you want to quit and, mm -hmm. you know, keeping you from remembering, like, look at this awesome success I had here with this song on Billboard. So, and obviously, you know, you sign a contract for something like that. You can't, you can't get out of it and you have to do it yeah. and you have to follow through, but you know, you know, now that you're not going to do those again yeah, because I, well, <laughs> they're just see, discouraging. Here's the thing is, is that I would like, I, I totally understand what you're saying, but I would, because you know, when you're trying to make it and you're on a budget, like they were giving me free things. I, well, that's true. I, I don't know. Before. There's, there's that line, I think though, there is. because if you're destroying your confidence, yeah, then you're not going to keep going. So, you know, but then if you're not making money, you're not going to keep going either. So, but I look at it now, like in the, you know, looking back at it, it was quite a few years ago now, several years ago. And I, I'm just like, you know, that's okay. Like, 
I, I, I think it was a good thing because I realized like, I don't need that guy to want to stop talking to his friend to listen to my song. Like I, I still have fun performing, you know, even if there's no one there. So in the moment it was like a hit for my confidence, but I now, I now could perform to like a guy throwing a beer bottle at me and I think I would be fine. So it kind of, well, that is good. I mean, yeah. you've, you've battle tested yourself. Right. You've built up like, you know, this, this wall of confidence. That is awesome. And if that worked for you, yeah, I know totally. I, if it, certain personalities, I think probably will never do well yeah. with that. And, and if that's you, then don't keep banging your head against the wall. Do the things that are going to make you feel good about your music. Yeah, it's like this weird, there's a weird line that happens. I feel like you cross over where you get into cynicism land, which I am like, I am mayor of cynicism land. I (laughs) totally am. And so as an artist, you know, you kind of have to be sensitive, especially if you're writing music, but also just to perform music, you have to be in touch with your feelings. You have to be a sensitive person. And things will never not bother me. Like if someone doesn't like my music, like it'll bother me, even if it's like an infinitesimal amount, like it'll always bother me. But I, I've become so like hardened because of this industry that you have to be confident and kind of like, you know, uh, just let everything bounce off of you because there's so much negativity that's going to happen that you just have to expect it. But I feel like it's impossible to get to that point without going through it and so there's just this constant testing where it's like am I going to keep going like is this going to be the thing that turns me away from this industry and you just have to like keep going through them and as you keep going through them unfortunately you get harder and harder but (laughs) I I don't know that you can make it without having that experience if that makes sense No. Yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think it's just, if you're too sensitive, like I I know people that have been through this kind of thing and they've, they've gotten through it and they've learned from it, but yet if they were to go through it again, they're just too sensitive. Like it just ruins them. So I think you need to know what you can handle. And yes, if you can go through these things and be hardened toward, I mean, it's the same thing with anyone who puts themselves out there, you know, for me, like in business, like I have haters that, you know, expect me to give them everything for free because they deserve it and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I've gotten like hate mail and I've gotten hate posts and all that. And you just have to say, okay, but there's 20 other people that love what you're doing and get past it. Right. But you know, if you can't, then that's maybe something you can't, you can't do because it's going to be there. Yeah, absolutely. So was there a particular like event or influence that was critical to your success? I think having that experience with the Funk Brothers taught me so much about how you conduct yourself in music because they recorded on every Motown song, which back then, I mean, music, you know, you couldn't just go back and edit the guitar. You have to do the entire song again. You know, they didn't have the technology that we have nowadays. So they taught me that you have to be that good. Like you have to work on your craft so that when you play it, you do it one time, maybe two times Mm. through, and that's it. Like you move on. And so, and even though the technology was there when we were recording when I was 13, they still work like that. So sessions are so fast, you know. You can, oh, it's so much cheaper yeah, too. And yeah. think of like the amazingness of their live performances because right. they've got it down like that. Right. Yeah. Wow. So when I hear about artists, you know, that talk about how it took them a year to record like three songs. You're like, I, seriously? It, yeah, it pisses me off. I'm like, ah. you just wasted so much time and so much money. Like I know studios are expensive, you know, it's not cheap to do that. So when I go in and record a song, like people are always shocked by how together I am and like how quickly I want to get through something. And like, if someone's dilly dallying, like, see ya, I don't, I don't need you on my track. Mm. And I had this one fiddle player once. I was in Nashville, so they call them fiddle players, violinists, whatever you want to say. Um, (laughs) And he just... He, I don't know what his problem was, but he did not want to work with me. And he kept asking me to replay the melody that I wrote, despite the fact that he had sheet music that I wrote out for him. So I kept playing 
the melody on the piano for him. And he was just like, no, I don't get it. I just don't get it. And I was like, oh my gosh. bye. I was like 15 and I fired a music. I love I that. Like, I was like, see ya, I can't, I can't deal with you. That's funny. <laughs> so they, I love that yeah. confidence. I, I mean, well, I, I, I did it. And then I was like, I wanted to cry. I was like, oh my God, like that was so stressful. He was so, (laughs) but, (laughs) but it just taught me that you need to be better than everyone else. Like, even if you're not actually better than everyone else, you have to aim for that. Like you have to be at the top of your game because if you're not, you know, no one is going to care. You need to be, and there's always someone to come in and take your place on the charts or whatever. Yeah. And you have to be self-reliant. Like that's something that I learned from them as well as from my dad. You know, he always wanted me to play piano when I was younger and I hated it because I hated playing classical piano. And then I started playing pop music and I was like, oh, okay, I, I like this. And I started writing my own songs and I really liked it. But he always taught me that you can't rely on a guitarist or a pianist that's coming with you. You have to be able to do a show all on your own. Because that is so important. Yeah. I go this with my students all the time. They're like, I can't, I need to build a band. I can't do anything with that. I can't play by myself. I said, yes, you can. And you need to because number one, if even if you have a band, you need to be able to lead your band by being yep. the best player in it. Secondly, you don't want to have to rely on all these people in order to go do a show. Like you need to be self-contained. If someone says, hey, can you come over and play for these thousand people? We need someone, somebody backed out. You can just jump right in. Absolutely. And, you know, that's the best thing you can do for your career. And I always I tell my my students, like I had this mindset myself, like I can't play and sing at the same time. I just can't do it. I've never been able to. And finally, I got so frustrated with dealing with my band. I mean, they're all nice people, but they had families, they had jobs, they had all that. And I wanted to go on tour and I'm like, I'm just going to figure this out. And I, I spent a month working on my 10 songs and getting them good enough to perform in front of an audience. And yeah, yeah when I first started, I sucked a little bit. I made a few mistakes, but I got way better. And now I'm not reliant on anyone. And that is such an important point, I think. Right. Yeah. Like I'm teaching myself guitar. I'm not kidding. I'm using YouTube because I have so little time. (laughs) Like I don't have time to go see a teacher. So when I'm home, I just like watch YouTube videos and learn guitar because my piano, my keyboard is so heavy to carry with me everywhere. Like a guitar is so much easier. So here we are. Agreed. I'm a keyboard player and I've never been able to get myself to play guitar, but I've always wanted to yeah. for that reason. And I love the sound of guitar. I do too. It's, I mean, it's, it's definitely easier than learning the piano in the beginning, but like as an adult learning is definitely, there's something <laughs> very different about <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> yeah. That's the reason our parents make us do it when yeah. we're six, you know? Yeah. So what is, I mean, there's probably a few answers to this, but what has been the most mind blowing experience that you've had as an artist? Uh, I was talking to someone else the other day about, you know, when you felt starstruck and I got to meet Stevie Nicks once when I was performing and Mm. it like blew my mind because I just really look up to her (laughs) and just like getting like the idea that, you know, one that I was performing at the same thing she was. And that she has had this incredible career and was so nice and just so great. It like really first, it gave me like this weird feeling of hope that I was like, I hope one day, like I have this kind of career and like someone who is also a writer, like comes up to me and gets to talk to me about my writing and, you know, my career. Mm. And I was just like, it just really motivated me in like a a strange way that's never happened to me before. Cause I was so like starstruck by her. I just think she's an incredible artist That's very cool. And I'm sure that because you're also a writer, like what you appreciated about her is her whole package. And I think she's one of the best female songwriters that I can think of. Yeah. Yes. I I completely agree. Uh, I was, yeah, I get asked a lot about, you know, who I look up to in my career and I look up to Stevie Nicks and more contemporary, more contemporary, but in a similar way, because she is not young whatsoever. I really look up to Sia. I think she's an incredible writer Mm. too. And I think it's so cool the way that she's branded herself and like, she just doesn't show her face. Like, I wish I could do that. (laughs) Nah. (laughs) Yeah, I totally get that. that. 
That's funny. Well, let's switch gears and talk about holiday music, because obviously you've made quite a name for yourself in holiday music, having three major holiday hits. What made you decide to start releasing holiday music? So it started with I recorded my first holiday songs when I was 15 with some of the guys from the Funk Brothers. And I was basically told by some radio guys that they they needed more contemporary sounding Christmas music that was up tempo because so many of the songs the artists had been releasing for years were really, really slow versions of Christmas songs. And, mm. you know, the radio is always looking for up tempo music, whether it's the radio listen to all year round or whether it's Christmas music, people turn off the radio if there's too much slow music. So I, I was just like, why can't it be me? So, you know, that's so interesting because I just planned out all my holiday podcasts uh -huh. and I was like, you know, I like to start and end on an up tempo yep. feel. And every time I looked at the list, cause I would like choose the songs based upon how many I had and all that. And so I'd get like nine or 10 songs in a show. And every time that you were on there, I'd look at it and I'd be like, Oh, she's going at the beginning or Oh, she's going at the end because <laughs> yeah. all the other ones are like slow. You're right. I mean, they're beautiful, but they're slow. Yeah. So I kind of just I filled a void. That was, that was it. Like, I do love Christmas music, but it wasn't, I didn't wake up one day. I was like, I need to do Christmas music. Someone was just like, <laughs> we need this music. And it was like, you know, I, I I'll do it. Why not? <laughs> like, I want to be successful. So it worked out really well. For that me. was really smart. So when they said we need this music and you delivered it to them, were they in the position to then go out and, and push that? Yeah. So one of the people that kind of brought that up to me was Mike McVeigh, who is now high up in uh, Cumulus Media, and he's just had an illustrious radio career. And so your average person wouldn't know who he is, but anyone in the industry knows who Mike McVeigh is. And he used to be a consultant for a lot of radio stations. And he's been a close family friend for a very long time. And I've always looked up, looked up to him as a mentor. And, and he was the one who kind of sat me down and was like, you know, we need tempo, like a Christmas radio. Like that is the thing that we need. And you have a great voice and I think you can deliver it. So I just went and arranged the songs and ran them by him. And so he, he helped, you know, get the radio stations to play it, but they, they, we promote it like we do a radio single. So like an original song, you just kind of take it to the radio stations and play it for them and kind of sell them on it. And they're like, cool, I love this. So the, the Christmas music was the easiest sell of anything, you know, we've ever had to sell because they're like, oh, I need this. Mm, <laughs> that's that's that. great. That's awesome. So how has the Christmas music helped build your fan base? You know, I think it's, it's weird. Um, Cause it's helped in some ways, but also I don't think that people really care who's singing the Christmas music. Mm. Like, I think there's, I mean, there's so, I know there's millions of people that have heard my Christmas music and I've, I've sold quite a lot of it, but I still, when I'm, you know, no one would be like, would see me in a crowd and be like, Oh my God, that's Whitney Willen and up, up, <laughs> you know, right? But, <laughs> but if, you know, they heard me singing it, they're like, Oh yeah. Like I love that version. So that's kind of a strange thing because I think, and I, I also encountered this at adult contemporary radio, even with my originals is that it's, it's not a very, what we call an active format. There's not an active listenership where the, people, I totally get that. Cause yeah. I remember listening to AC radio in an office, yeah, you know, exactly. and like you'd hear stuff and I'd be like, Oh, that's a cool song. But you didn't think like, who is that artist? I want to follow exactly. them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you have people, you know, you still sell songs, you still get streams, but it's not to the same numbers as something like Top 40 or Hot AC Radio, because those are really active, like, especially because it's younger people that they want to discover the artist. So it's the same with Holiday Radio and AC Radio. They just, they just don't really care <laughs> who it is. But the cool thing about holiday music, and I always tell people this, in fact, I did a podcast specifically about why you should create a Christmas CD, mm -hmm. is that, you know, for two months of the year, you can always bring it back. Yes. And it's always fresh and new. And it's not like, you know, when you come out with an album and it's new for a while, and then they're like, oh, that was released in 2014. I don't care about that. It's not the same with Christmas music. Right. Like when you, when I see your thing 
come out on all access and it's got all three of your songs. I'm like, that's awesome. She's got three songs and people, and even though they have the dates by them, people don't really care because it's Christmas music. Exactly. It doesn't get stale. That's awesome. So, um, how, other than, you know, your fan base, like we just talked about, how have you leveraged your success with holiday music? How has that helped you move into, you know, more of other formats and, and just kind of make a name for yourself? I mean, it is nice to be able to say I've had three, you know, top billboard hits of these songs. Mm-hmm. And I, and I love how that's always on kind of the, um, whenever you send out a blast, that's always at the bottom, like, you know, that you've had, I can't remember, is it five top billboard hits? And, you know, it, it kind of chronicles, like we started with this one and then we had all these and it just makes it seem like you have this really amazing, you know, longevity of a career. Right. Yeah. So it's helped in, in ways that it's, it's spread my name. So my, my name has better recognition, even if people don't know what I look like and they don't know, you know, exactly who I am, they still recognize my name and the song a lot more since I've had the holiday songs. And I got to do a lot of great concerts with radio stations across the country. So it really helped me with the loyalty at radio because they, Mm. they really wanted me to come do these shows and and I did. And so it it creates a relationship that's symbiotic and they want to help me. I want to help them kind of thing. So overall the holiday music helped me immensely, but I'm assuming that will help too when you go back to radio, um, unless it's just totally different with top 40 radio yeah. than what you've been doing, you know, like, oh, they, they know your name because of all these Christmas songs they played every year. You see, they, it sucks because it really <laughs> has no crossover. Ah, <laughs> there's there's maybe, maybe about 10% of them that know me from my previous songs, but the rest of them have never even heard my name. Although I will say, cause I've been touring around radio stations for the last three months because we're going to literally every monitor top 40 in the country uh they when i bring them like merch like i have you know shirts i have cowbells i have uh <laughs> like um their jar openers they look like pianos and people love them so when i bring them a lot of times they'll be like oh wait i have this at home like i knew your name you know there was something in the back of my head like i've read your name before but they have never heard my music. Like they don't know who I am at all. So it's funny when that happens because I'm like branding. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, there's very little crossover. They don't know who I am. <laughs> that is so weird, huh? Well, I'm obviously I'm outside of the normal, you know, radio sphere. So I just feel like, you know, why can't we all get along? Know. You know, all these formats, like I play every kind of format on my station. Right. And I love that. And I just wish it didn't have to be so segmented. Yeah, it's very. So what is your favorite way to connect with your fans? Like, do you think do you connect with the most at live shows or on social, you know, any particular social media outlet or, um, you know, through radio interviews and stuff? What's kind of your favorite way? My favorite way is in person, like at live shows. Mm. I love hanging out afterwards, meeting every person that wants to meet me, taking photos and just, just talking to people. Like I have so many, especially women that come to my shows and they want to be singers and, or they're songwriters and they just want to talk about the industry, like kind of like we're doing right now. And, and I love doing that because I have met so many artists (laughs) that are not nice and they don't want to talk to you. And I just never want to be like that. Like I want to talk to these people that want to listen to my music. Why would I not? So I love meeting people in person. That's my favorite thing to do. Mm. And what is, do you think that's the most effective way or do you have like a social media channel or like through your newsletter? What's the most effective way that you connect with new people? I think it's the most, that is the most effective way. It's not the most efficient way, obviously, because you're only Mm. meeting the people that already know you. Yeah. And but I, I really like struggle with social media. I'm not great at it, even though, you know, I'm a millennial, I should be amazing at this, but <laughs> I've, I've kind of neglected it for too long. Like I didn't get into it when it was starting. And so my numbers are incredibly low for, you know, how many people like I've actually reached with my music, but I just find it really strange and narcissistic. And that's why I've struggled with it because I don't want to post photos of myself. Like I find it like, 
painful to post a selfie. Like it seems so mm. silly. I'm like, why would someone want to look at this photo of me? But I'm trying to get better because they really, really care about it. At top 40 radio at pop, pop music, they look at your followers. Like that's a huge decision maker for them, which I think is that really is unfortunate, so but yeah, <laughs> it is, it is. Well, yeah, that's, I don't know. It's frustrating that you have to do it kind of. Yes. And it's so hard to do it and still stay authentic, especially if you don't love it. Yep. No, I, I think <laughs> it definitely comes through that I don't love it. I'm trying, I'm trying mm. really hard on <laughs> So we'll see. Well, don't worry. We'll give you some, um, some quote things that you can post on social media well, from the show great. that then you won't have to like make it up yourself. <laughs> so, um, I want to hear about your new project. Like, how would you describe it? What's it been like, you know, working on it and creating it? And when do we get to hear it? Yeah. So my new single uh, is called Never Said No. And I wrote the song about a year and a half ago. And I wrote it about an experience that I had while I, about many experiences, but especially one that I had when I was in London I was walking through a park in London, which is a very safe city, and I was walking alone. It's the middle of the day, and there were some families playing nearby, and and there was a group of about five men that started yelling, like, the grossest sexual things at me, and... I just was so frustrated because these families, I don't blame them, but you know, they moved away. Like they heard it happening. They were just like, nope, I'm out. And so I was kind of left alone and it seemed like a movie scene. It was just like, oh my God, like this could really, you know, something bad could happen. Mm. So they started moving towards me. And so I just ran away and I've never had something that intense happened to me like that. And I was so upset. You know, I felt so powerless. I just, I wish that I could have said something. I, I wish I could have done something. I wish I could have stood up for myself and, and, you know, taught them a lesson. But mm. so I, I went and I wrote a song about it. And so the song never said no, you know, it talks about a woman walking home. This guy starts catcalling her in a very aggressive manner and he says to her, no, doesn't mean no if you don't say it loud enough. And so mm. she flips it on him. And the whole chorus, it sounds quite sexual, but it's actually her torturing him in a very like Dixie Chicks goodbye Earl way. I don't know if you remember. Oh, yes. <laughs> so the whole the whole song is is just uh, basically about her offing this this guy who tried to intimidate her and and it's it's satire like I'm not condoning violence whatsoever it's it's just about you know making someone feel as powerless as they made you feel you know making them understand that it's not an idle threat like they are actually harming you and they are actually doing something that's a crime and mm. so so yeah it's a really <laughs> weird topic to talk about at pop radio which has songs like Blurred Lines and, you know, a lot of songs that with lyrics like I Know You Want It, things like that, which I think have helped create this culture where it seems okay, it seems harmless just to yell at a woman walking by or a man walking by, uh, but it's it's absolutely not. And it leads to things like rape, you know, the, mm. the rape rates are just astounding. I know many, many of my friends that have either been violently sexually assaulted or raped. And I just think it's unacceptable and I want to talk about it. That is so great. And I just think there's so many women that are going to identify with that. And I really hope that, you know, radio allows you to tell this story. Yeah. Had, have they been open to you, like talking about what the song is about and stuff? They have. I've only done a few interviews that have been taped for after they play the song, but you know, after I tell the story of what happened to me, because a lot of times I play the song without telling them what it's about, because it's a really fun, up-tempo sounding song. Like, it's a really cool mm. song. And they just think it's about, like, kinky sex, because it talks <sighs> about, like, tying the guy down. So they, 
they literally like zone in on those lyrics. They're like BDSM, that's what it's about. And they just like shut off their, their heads, <sighs> you know, like they just like bob along to the beat. And then afterwards, when I explain the story, I feel like they're like, oh, goodness. Like, I, <laughs> I miss <laughs> that. And I'm like, I want to be like, yep, that's the point. Uh, but I, you know, after I explain it to them, almost all of them have had an incredible reaction. A lot of them are fathers, especially mm. when they have daughters. They're very like, like this little switch flips and they, you can see them thinking, oh god like I don't want my daughter to experience this a lot of totally young, young girls so they're not quite quite there yet to where they would have experienced it but I think they realize that this you know this culture is happening and that it happens to their friends and I think for so long we haven't really talked about it even women talking to other women about being catcalled you know and or worse things that have happened you know you kind of just you just accept it as like a part of being a woman. <laughs> right. And I don't think we should anymore. I just, I think that we should be talking about it. No, absolutely. Do you have any concern that people will misinterpret the song if they haven't heard you explain it? Yes. And I think, <laughs> no, they totally could. Like, but so what's the worst thing that they think, right? They think it's like a sexy song. If that's the worst thing, like it, it's not, you know, if a woman talking about enjoying sex, like that's not, I don't think that's a bad thing. No, it's not. So if that's the worst thing that happens that someone thinks about the song, like that's fine. You know, if someone wants to take it like that, that's fine. You can take it like that. It's a song. You can interpret it as you want to. It's art. But, you know, I think the the video really lays out what it's about. It's, it's mm. a video that's, I think, a little bit hard to watch and mm. I, I I hope that it goes you know it, it reaches a lot of people it goes viral and and people start talking about what it means to them and about their experience uh, whether it's similar to mine or different so yeah that would be amazing if you could create a movement with this after bridging you know kind of bridging the song with the video yes that's awesome. So when was the plan for release of all this? So the video and the song dropped to the public December 2nd. So mm, very soon. Very soon. Yeah. It's crazy. This time has gone by so fast. So when this show comes out, it'll actually have already been released. Cool. So can you tell them where to go to find it? Yes. So you can find the video for Never Said No on YouTube and on Vivo. And you can stream the song on iTunes, on Spotify, and pretty much anywhere you can possibly buy or stream music and mm. you can get links to all that on my website which is whitneyw.com whitneyw that's cool you don't have to worry about yep. how do you spell Lolan and very yep. smart <laughs> well it has been absolutely fantastic having you on the show I mean I have this list of questions here and I'm like oh my gosh I'm not even going to get to all these because we're talking about so many interesting things yeah. so that's the best kind of interview in my opinion Me too. so um, I know you're not big on social media but you're working on it so how can people find you on social media so my name on social media is just my name Whitney Wolanin W-O-L-A-N-I-N and please follow me and talk to me on there because I need more friends on social media <laughs> And, you know, she's not going to, you know, give you some generic thing because she's not about that. She's going to really talk to you. So, yeah, talk to her. She'll talk back. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us and all of your experience and wisdom. And I know that the artists that are listening to this are going to learn so much from you. And, you know, hopefully they'll get to come see you at a show and talk to you afterwards. Yes, please. Thank you so much. Now go out and make great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business. Female Entrepreneur Musician has been brought to you by femusician.com and femalemusicianacademy.com. With editing by Jen Eads of 317 Sound Design and music by Stella Ronson. <laughs>